Hiya, handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people. Welcome to the Pachama Party, where all the red plastic cups are filled with tears and tequila. Tears and tequila and lime. Because <laughs> Lord knows we need a chaser. So grab your platforms and your Uber and let's get into it. A little reminder, I'm going to be doing a Q&A episode. So if you have a question, like anything from, you know, what's your favorite color to how have you coped with X type of trauma, just hit me up on Insta or email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. I'll give all my Insta deets at the end of the episode. Okay. This week, we're revisiting the topic of boundaries. It's been a minute since our last boundaries episode, and it's a topic that literally every single person, whether you have been raised around trauma or not, whether you know your family was dysfunctional or not, like everyone needs to think about boundaries. That said, if you have been traumatized, if you were raised in an abusive home, if you've been in any kind of relationship with a narcissist or sociopath, you really need to get the fucking 411 on boundaries. So I wanted to get back into it to kind of deepen our understanding of what boundaries are, what they look like, and how we implement them in our everyday lives. So to help us with that, I'm so happy to introduce Consciousness Guide, Pam Curran to the show. Hi, Pam. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, I'm so, so excited to have you. I actually reached out to invite you on because a close friend of mine is your client <laughs> and she kept telling me about her sessions with you and all of these like nuggets of wisdom that you would share. And I, I finally was just like, what the fuck? This is so powerful. This is so good. I have to have her on the pod. So I'm thrilled to have you on to share those nuggets with us. But before we get into that, let's chat about your astrology. You're a Scorpio sun, Gemini rising, moon and Sagittarius, which is fun for me because I'm a Sag sun, Gemini rising, Venus and Mercury and Scorpio. So we have a lot of overlap there. Mm. Let me start by saying gem rising to me makes all the sense for therapists because right, it's like there's a lot of talking involved in talk therapy and and in coaching. And Gemini is the sign of communicating ideas, relaying ideas and knowledge. Gemini loves to learn things and then talk about what they've learned. Sagittarius is the explorer, and that's both literal and figurative. Sag loves to travel, but also loves to expand their minds, expand their spiritual capacity. So having Sag in the moon placement could look like being very curious about emotions and having a sense of expansion emotionally, applying spirituality to emotions, just sort of wanting to explore the whole breadth of the emotional spectrum. And Scorpio, I could talk about Scorpio all day long. It's such a fascinating sign. You maybe know this already, but Scorpio has seven symbols Whereas most signs just have the one symbol or two at most, Scorpio has seven. And that's because it's the sign most committed to evolving. It's the sign most dedicated to leveling up, which is why it's also the only sign that's not afraid to enter the darkness, right? 
like we think about Scorpio around like death and rebirth. So a lot of times people don't know this, but the least evolved version of Scorpio is the spider. And the most evolved version is the phoenix rising from the ash. So there's a whole spectrum with Scorpio, which is why I think it gets a bad rap sometimes because, you know, there are a lot of spider Scorpios out there. But there are a lot of Scorpios who have done or are doing the deeply demanding work that it takes to get to that seventh level because the power of Scorpio is in knowing that sometimes something has to die in order for us to become a better version of ourselves or for a relationship to become a better version of itself. Every other sign has its version of how to avoid the darkness, right? Avoid the painful shadow, like Pisces escapes through fantasy or addiction. Capricorn escapes through control or work or like a faux sense of superiority. Libra escapes through conflict avoidance or codependent relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And also like low vibe Scorpio will tend toward addiction or obsession. But when you get toward the latter end of the spectrum with the higher vibration symbols, those versions of Scorpio will walk straight into the flames in order to come out the other side better than they were, which is so intense and can be very painful. But I can really see Scorpio being such a good sign for a therapist or coach because these are people who, for one thing, can see through bullshit and aren't afraid to call you out on it, but also... Often these are people who themselves have experienced a series of death and rebirth scenarios in their own lives and can mentor people going through their own death and rebirth processes. And so anyway, that was a mouthful, but did any of that kind of resonate for you or ring a bell for you? Yes, it uh, it resonates. And I'm not an expert on astrology and didn't know that Scorpio has seven symbols, but that makes so much sense. And it's something that I actually would like to explore a little bit more, the correspondence between the chakras and the symbols and other uses of seven in in numerology and, and symbology. So thank you for that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a great point. The number seven. That's so interesting. I recently did the numerology of my name and I got seven. So um, yeah, I want to do that too. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to dive into my experience with boundaries for just a minute. While I do that, feel free to interject with thoughts, feelings, complaints. You know, if you just want to spontaneously bitch about something, totally fine. Or you can just sit back, relax, clean your refrigerator. Either way, I'll turn some questions over to you at the end. How does that sound? Sounds great. Cool. Here we go. So I already talked a lot about boundaries on the first boundaries episode. So if you haven't listened to that yet, I do recommend it. But I wanted to add some insights and experiences that I've had since that episode. First, I want to talk about what a boundary even is and the difference between setting a boundary and creating a rule. I've seen two therapists talk about this on Insta lately, and I was like, oh shit, this is so good. So Dr. Raquel Martin, her Insta handle is Raquel Martin PhD. She posted a great vid that I reposted to the Patrama Party Insta story recently, where she talked about the difference between a boundary and a rule. So I'm actually using her language. A boundary, she said, guides our behavior. A rule guides their behavior. 
So a rule is like, don't raise your voice at me. A boundary is like, if you raise your voice at me, I will leave until you can calm down. It's about us and what we need and the consequences that will happen if someone doesn't respect your boundary. But with a boundary, you're not controlling the other person's behavior. If that person wants to keep yelling, that's totally their choice. Your choice is to enforce your behavior and say, okay, you violated my boundary, so I'm going to leave until you're calmer. So there was that. And then I saw Therapy Jeff, that's his Insta handle. I posted stuff a bunch, you know, on, on the Patrama Party Institute. His real name, I think, is Jeff Gunther. Gunther. Anyway, he roasted Jonah Hill recently, and deservedly so, by the way. So what happened, I guess, was Jonah Hill sent his now ex-girlfriend, Sarah, who was a professional surfer. He sent her text being like, these are my boundaries in our relationship. You can't surf with other men. You can't post pictures in a bikini. You can't be friends with women who think who I think are crazy. So those aren't boundaries. <laughs> those are what Dr. Martin would call rules. Boundaries are about us, right? Not about them. So in the last year, I was super tested with boundaries, actually several times. And one of the ways this came up was with a friend breakup that I've talked about on here a few times. This was someone who had been my best friend for years. And in my mind, we were like family and we would be friends forever. So in other words, a relationship that I thought was unshakable. But, and this is something I also talk about a lot. I was walking into all my relationships from a place of my needs don't really matter. What matters is keeping the relationship because my greatest wound is loneliness. And also, I genuinely believe we aren't meant to do life alone. We're meant to be in connection. That's sort of an aside. But what I'm trying to say with that is that, yes, we're meant to be in connection. But when we don't know how to maintain healthy boundaries, the quality of those connections is compromised. And that's not the goal. And I'll kind of get into that after this story. So anyway, here's the story. I had this best friend. We did everything together. She would tell me I was her person, right? We were super close. But anytime I would express that she'd hurt my feelings, she would tell me the reasons why I was wrong. Initially, I was always wrong because I hadn't brought the issues to her soon enough. And that wasn't fair of me. And at the time, I agreed that I would sit on things for a while. And I was like, you're right. I'll bring this stuff to you sooner in the future. But what I didn't notice was that that would then be the end of the conversation. It wasn't like she would say, okay, thank you. Now let's talk about your feelings because that's important to me. It was like, there had to be a reason why I was wrong. And then that was the end of the conversation. So when I started bringing things to her sooner and she couldn't use this excuse of me sitting on it and not communicating fast enough, then the issue became that I had unreasonable expectations that no one could possibly fulfill. So as I was attempting to express my needs in the friendship, they were constantly being swatted away like flies. By the way, I never said, hey, here's my boundary. If this doesn't happen or this does happen, this is how I will respond, right? I was saying things like, hey, when you did this, it really hurt my feelings. What I need from you is this. Or, hey, I'm feeling really not good about our connection. Can we do this to get us to a better place? And I don't... 
I mean, you know, those aren't boundaries per se. They're more like requests. But for me, they were starting the boundary conversation because instead of pretending that everything was fine and nothing upset me, I was verbalizing when I didn't feel good in the friendship. So this was step one for me in setting boundaries, by the way, like, and I'll get into this later, but this was not something I knew how to do, right? So when finally the whole thing came to a head, it was because she told me that I actually wasn't her best friend. And this was after years of telling me that I was her person. That's what she would say to me. You're my person. But she sure as fuck wasn't acting like a best friend or like I would assume that someone would act when they said you are my person. And so I finally asked about it. I asked her, I was like, hey, all these times you've said I'm your person. What did you mean by that? Did you mean that I'm your best friend? And she was like, no, that's just something I say. It doesn't mean that you're my best friend, which was such a shock to me. And I was so hurt and triggered and wounded by that and blindsided by that, obviously. So needless to say, I was feeling deeply unappreciated and honestly, like sort of traumatized in our relationship. I mean, I guess what I'll say is I felt deeply wounded and deeply triggered by it. And I asked her if she and I could have a cute little ceremony, like a little friendship ceremony to help me feel more secure about our friendship. And she said, if you need that, I'll give it to you. And I said, wow, I feel like I just asked you to prom. And you responded by saying that if I wanted that, you would acquiesce and give it to me. And she said, well, no one did ask me to prom. So if someone had been willing to go to prom with me, I would have been grateful. In other words, I should have been grateful is what she communicated to me in that moment. And then she started crying and said that I never acknowledged all the things she did to be a good friend to me. And so after she had basically reneged on our friendship and been like us best friends, no way. And then been like, you should be grateful to me for coldly agreeing to your to your little ceremony thing after you put your heart on your sleeve and vulnerably asked for that. After all that, I ended up holding her and comforting her while she cried. And I apologized for not acknowledging her efforts more. The truth is, if I had been better attuned to my boundaries, the instant that she said that she never meant anything by saying that I was her person, my anger should have kicked in. But because of the experiences I had growing up, I'm so trained in the art of suppressing the anger that's meant to protect me and help me set boundaries that I still was trying to find a way to make the relationship work. So the next night we were going to get dinner and on the way to dinner, I was feeling my stomach in knots. I knew something wasn't right. So that's one thing I want to call attention to is that when we enter a situation where we're giving in a way that isn't good for us, we can sometimes really feel it in our bodies, right? Like our bodies will tell us. So I got to dinner early and decided to sit in my car and check in with what that feeling was. And what I fell into was that I had created space for her the night before. 
I had validated her feelings. I'd been physically affectionate with her. I'd really listened to what it was she was telling me and acknowledged that I understood, right? Like I understood what she was saying. She wanted me to see all the good things that she brought. And she didn't feel like I was verbalizing that to her. And I had said to her, I hear you. I'm sorry. Yes. But I needed that too. I needed to have my feelings and needs validated. I needed to be able to cry and be vulnerable and have that met with love instead of you should be grateful for what you get. I needed to feel seen, heard, and held. And so when we got to dinner, I told her I'd had an insight and I asked her if I could share it with her. And immediately she got annoyed. So, you know, the red flags in the relationship were not subtle, but that's the level to which I was refusing to be honest with myself about about the reality of the friendship. Anyway, I told her that I needed to feel seen, heard, and held the night before and that that didn't happen. And she was like, well, that was last night. What do you need now? And I said, honestly, it would be really great if you could just put a hand on me and look me in the eyes and say, I really hear you, Remy. I understand. And I want you to feel seen, heard, and held. So I'm going to work on that for you, which is essentially what I had done for her the night before. And she just looked at me and she goes, do you even want to be friends? And I walked out of the restaurant and that was the last time we saw each other. To this day, she has not apologized. And I doubt, honestly, that she feels like she needs to. But what I'll say is that this was such a tremendous lesson for me in boundaries because, again, I wasn't raised in a home where I was allowed to have boundaries and I wasn't raised in an environment where my needs mattered or were prioritized. So being able to identify relationships that were healthy and safe was essentially impossible for me for many years because I was so accustomed to ignoring red flags around people being cold cruel, defensive, emotionally unavailable, lacking empathy, being narcissistic, ignoring those red flags was how I survived my family as a little girl. But one thing I know about myself coming out the other side of this is that I need relationships with people who can be wrong and who can apologize. People who can say, oh, fuck, I made a mistake. So it put into place for me a boundary for my relationships going forward. I'm not here to teach people to be accountable. That's above my pay grade. And that's my boundary. If that's not something you're already comfortable with, then I can recognize that and say, man, I wish you all the best. I don't have to hate anyone. And as hurtful as my ex-friend's behavior was for me, I don't hate her either. I think there are lots of great things about her, but she's not the right fit for me. And that's sort of what I'm realizing a boundary is for me. It's about getting clear on what my needs are, finding the people who are the right fit for those needs, and then letting the other ones go if that's what needs to happen. In that moment in the restaurant, I essentially communicated a boundary by saying, I need to feel seen, heard, and held by you, right? I didn't finish the sentence though. The whole sentence is, I need to feel seen, heard, and held in our friendship the same way that I see, hear, and hold you. And if you can't give that to me, I can't be in the friendship. 
I didn't say that verbally, but I said it with my actions, right? My actions said, I can't control you. I can't make you be the kind of friend to me that I've been to you, but I can recognize that your lack of reciprocity and your lack of accountability and your lack of empathy crosses my personal boundary. And the consequence for that is that I leave. Being accountable is a non-negotiable for me in relationships. And so is being willing to talk and work through conflict. People who give me the silent treatment, ice me out, belittle my need for a conversation, get defensive and make me the problem, etc. I also can't be in relationship with them because working through conflict is part of how I know I'm safe. And for some people, like these may seem like no shit statements, like, yeah, no shit. Obviously, you need these in order to have a healthy connection with someone. But for a lot of us who are raised to be doormats to narcissists or to emotionally immature parents or siblings or caregivers, we just miss this fucking memo so hard. It goes totally against the grain of how we were raised. But the other really crucial part of this story is about me having boundaries with myself. There were so many instances with this friend when she treated me like I didn't matter to the point where when I would tell my other friends about what we were going through to try to get an objective perspective on it, they would say, is she trying to hurt your feelings? Which honestly was how I felt too. It felt like the only way I could explain her behavior was that she was intentionally trying to hurt me. And I mean, whether she was or wasn't, who knows? But the bottom line is that I kept having those experiences with her and then diving right back into the friendship. And I was doing that because I wanted connection. I wanted community. And in my childhood, to get that, to get the connection I wanted, I had to submit to some real toxic ass behavior. I never learned to set boundaries with myself where I would say, I know I want connection. And that's a huge motivator for me, but I am responsible for developing connections with emotionally healthy people, with people who can meet my basic needs for accountability and conflict resolution. So when I see these red flags, it's my job to take the appropriate next steps and set those boundaries. And I want to say real quick, because I felt like Nat Strafaci, who I had on for the Feeling Unseen episode, made a great point that could feel confusing alongside what I'm saying now about setting boundaries, they brought up the need for us to create community. And one of the ways they said that we do that is through forgiveness. And this is where having boundaries can feel really confusing, right? Like where is the line between I create community through forgiveness and allowing space for people to make mistakes and I set strong boundaries around the kind of people I allow into my life, right? My view on that is that a person who gets defensive in a conversation, let's say, and can't hear your needs or who makes you wrong or who runs away from a tough conversation, who then comes back and says, I'm sorry, I got defensive or I freaked out and ran away because it just felt too scary or I made you wrong because I felt insecure. Those are accountable people. And so even though they fucked up, they did the work to repair. And that's key for me. I don't expect people to get an A plus 100% of the time in emotional maturity, right? I don't. I've come into conversation guns blazing. I've pretended like things were fine when I was fucked up over something, right? No one's perfect. The people I want to create community with are the people who, when they fuck up, 
are willing to repair. And in my experience, doing repair work requires two non-negotiables. One is accountability and being able to be wrong and to apologize. And two is being willing to work through conflict, being willing to have tough conversations, because that's also what I bring to the table. I might fuck up, right? But I'm accountable. I can hear someone's needs and apologize. I can sit down and have that conversation. Because you can create community with people who show up with toxic behaviors or who just can't meet your needs. You can totally do that. I did it for many years. So the goal is not just to create community, but to create community with people who can show up for us. And that sometimes requires boundaries from us. Recently on Insta, I saw a post by Patrick Tehan, uh, T-E-A-H-A-N. He's a therapist. His handle is at Patrick Tehan Therapy. And this post said, Half safe people are not safe. And in the caption, he wrote, when we are not a good judge of character towards others, we end up shocked that people we thought were safe totally weren't just like we experienced in childhood. We misread flags like passive aggression, invalidation, empathy issues, toxicity, or simply the person not having their emotional house in order as much as we thought. And that hit me so fucking hard. This idea of half safe people. My friend who I was just talking about, there were times she was great. You know, like one time I got sick and she brought me soup. If I was sad about something that didn't involve me not feeling good about the way she was treating me, she could totally be there for me. But there were red flags with her, severe red flags from the beginning that I would just totally ignore because there were these other moments where she was great. If any of you listened to the episode on emotional neglect, I talked about an experience with a friend where I confided in her about having suicidal ideation. And immediately she made that moment about her and how she was the victim. That was the same friend that I just told this story about. So it's really interesting for me to see the arc. It was like, this is how it started. And then fast forward a few years and like, this is how it's going. In a lot of ways, she was safe. There were things about her that made me feel safe. And these things were always running alongside a whole list of things that made me feel really unsafe. But I ignored those because that's how I was programmed. I was programmed to focus in on getting that connection no matter what. And noticing red flags and voicing boundaries around them was not how I got connection in my childhood. That's how I lost connection. And sure enough, Creating boundaries with this friend by voicing my needs and voicing what wasn't working was also how I lost connection, which is how I knew that ultimately this friend wasn't safe because people who are safe for you can respect your boundaries. And that brings me to this. Having proper boundaries is about really knowing yourself. That's sort of what I've come to realize When we're raised around abuse, narcissism, immature parents, we have to silence ourselves and our needs over and over again. Having needs, having boundaries is how we lose the love of our caregivers in those homes. But having needs and boundaries is key to being in touch with our true selves. There is no you without needs (laughs) and there is no you without boundaries. But what those needs and boundaries are is individual to each of us. 
I need physical affection in, in my closest relationships. Not everyone needs that, right? Like that's an example. When we're children, part of the job of the healthy parent is to create space for us to understand what our unique needs and boundaries are. We're supposed to be able to voice our needs and say no in a safe space. But so often that's just not what happens. And so for many of us, we come into adulthood having no idea what our needs and boundaries even are, right? Like we've lost touch with this crucial core part of ourselves. And that's when we're in trouble in relationships and we can find ourselves giving our love and care to people who are half safe or not safe at all because we're ignoring those red flags. And let me say, ignoring red flags is essentially synonymous with ignoring your needs and boundaries. My ex-friend making my suicidal ideation a moment to victimize herself was an enormous red flag, aka a moment where she made it clear that she can't empathize in the way I need. And I ignored that because she was half safe. There were other things that worked in the friendship. Then fast forward several years, and the reason the friendship ended was exactly the same. She couldn't empathize, and she couldn't not make a moment where I was wounded about her. Incidentally, my caregivers operated in this exact same way. So as an adult, I was primed and ready to go when it came to not having boundaries around this exact behavior. I didn't know that I had a deep need for empathy. I didn't know I had a very basic need to be seen and treated with love in my moments of suffering. I didn't know that about myself because I was never allowed to have those needs in childhood. In other words, I didn't know myself fully. Not only did I not know I needed empathy, I didn't know that I was allowed to need empathy and to make that a requisite in a relationship. And I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle in this conversation. For those of us who grew up in dysfunctional homes, which is like pretty much all of us, not only do we come into adulthood not knowing what our needs are, we come in feeling like we're not allowed to have needs. When I would feel upset with someone like my friend, but I wouldn't tell them immediately, right? And like how she would complain to me, like you didn't bring this to me right away. It was because I was sitting around telling myself, this is about you, Remy. You're too much. You're too needy. You're too sensitive. Because that's what my family had told me all my life. Recovering boundaries for me starts with recovering my relationship to my needs. And that means knowing what my needs are and that I'm totally allowed to have them. It also means knowing that not everyone can meet them, right? And then it's my job to say, okay, what do I need to do now? Because this isn't about changing the other person. It's about my behavior. Do I need to leave this relationship? Do I need to set parameters around this relationship, right? And that part is on me. It's my responsibility to uphold it. Okay, I'll stop there. Pam, how are you doing over there? I'm so touched by your share. And there are a couple of things that you mentioned, which uh, fall into a communication pattern that is an identified form of gaslighting that used to be strictly in the purview of like narcissistic personality disorder. 
But now it has become very common in everyday communication. So it's no longer just related to narcissistic personality uh, disorder. And you actually see it in the news, you see it in entertainment, you see it in conversations that you overhear. And it's classic what you just described. Uh, the communication style acronym is DARVO. Deny, attack, reverse the victim and offender. Reverse the victim and offender? Yes. So deny, uh, your feelings were denied consistently in this relationship. And particularly in certain circumstances where your friend's toxic shame may have been triggered. So she has a coping mechanism or in these circumstances employed a coping mechanism of denying your emotional uh, report. And then she turns it into a very subtle attack. So a very subtle, okay, that was last night. That's, that's an attack on what you're reporting and it's subtle. And uh, this is something um, that it's definitely a learned indoctrinated behavior. It's definitely related to being very scared of toxic shame arising within. Uh, and then the next part is where the reversal, the deception starts coming in. So when you are sharing suicidal ideation, and this is a very vulnerable share, and there's all kinds of emotions that can arise when reaching that part of the shadow, you know, so reaching that part of the shadow where most people don't really want to go. And when that reversal happened, where it's not you who is the victim, she's the victim. She has something deeper, uh, superior, something more important. And this, this is classic DARVO. So the very first thing uh, I want to say is that it is so prevalent in our culture and in English-speaking countries uh, now that everyone needs a boundary with DARVO. Even the people who practice DARVO, so some of your listeners may recognize this in themselves, everyone needs a boundary with DARVO. And uh, we probably need a lot more education on it. And definitely, it's going to be extremely challenging, bordering on impossible, to have someone who communicates Darvo-like in your inner circle. So your inner uh, circle are the souls that your soul shines with, where you're centered and grounded, where your well-being just radiates and emanates because of this soul connection. And your, your inner circle really needs uh, a level of safety that many of us have never experienced. So being willing to create the boundaries for an inner circle of emotional safety, mental safety, physical safety, of course, you know, uh, goes without saying but soul safety, so that your soul gets to be expressed and gets to practice 
expressing without judgment. So in real safety. So what's you know, real safety? N- no judgment. No, literally no judgment at all. And the ability to be celebrating success or debriefing a failure. And it's all the same. It's because you are who you are and they are who they are that you want all of each other, every bit, the good, the bad, the ugly, every single experience. So I was quite amazed that you immediately created that boundary upon realization. It's difficult to do, to go from boundaryless with a person who's not safe for you to creating the boundary by just getting up and walking out. Really brilliant work. Really brilliant. I'm, I, I had to take a deep breath because I never had the language for exactly what it was that that didn't work. And I feel so seen in this moment by you naming that acronym and very clearly like delineating what happened. Because again, um, narcissism is a big part of my family, the lineage of trauma in my family. And there was so much gaslighting for me growing up. And there was so much telling me that I was the problem. And so hearing you so clearly mark out, it starts with this, it looks like this, and then it goes to this, this is the pattern, this is common, it makes it so it's a it's incredibly validating, B, it really clarifies to me why this felt so not okay, right? Like, to me, generally, I just felt like I don't feel seen, heard and held, right? But you were like, really getting so detailed about what that pattern is. And that's so incredibly helpful. So thank you so, so much for taking a minute to break that down. Because I think you're right. It's like an offshoot of narcissism, right? And like, narcissism, as we know, is rooted in toxic shame. And so I think you're you absolutely nailed it. I think she felt criticized if I wasn't like totally okay with everything all the time. And instead of just being able to be like, Oh shit. Yeah. I fucked up. I'm really sorry. That toxic shame would come in. And I think it's like, hopefully, you know, something that when people do that, they can grow out of it and work through it. But if they can't, but like whether they do or not is not my responsibility. And right. Like that's the boundary piece is like, that's on you to figure out. But in the meantime, that's where you are now. And so I can't, yeah, like my boundary is I I can't be in a relationship with you. I can't share my soul with you. And I love that you brought in soul safety. I started tearing up. Yes. Oh my God. Soul safety. Like what? I think it, like everything kind of comes, comes down to that. But before I get like way off and so excited about this, and I, cause I think some of this will come back into our conversation. Let me just start with a very basic question for you. What is a boundary in your view? So between you and I and me and anyone else and you and anyone else, there is the space that separates us, which also connects us. And a boundary is the point in that space where you're as close as possible without harm. And when I say harm, I, I mean having to leave your center and leave your groundedness in order to meet somebody 
in a pattern. So not your true self, not their true self. The boundary that lets you be your true self, centered and grounded and feeling safe. And it's really that simple, but we don't talk about it very much. So, uh, you know, like you referenced earlier, boundaries are not rules. And it's very much a feeling perception. So not something that you're necessarily going to devise in your cognitive center. It's going to come from your heart. And it is very somatic. So from your heart, it's going to go through the vagus nerve. It may make it to the cognitive center. But your body knows. Your body does know when the boundary is being, your natural boundary is being violated. And just like you spoke of, we get indoctrinated out of our natural boundaries. We are discouraged from our natural boundaries in school, at home, teenage years, you know, in in social uh, circles, even in gang life, you get indoctrinated out of your natural boundaries. And it's that simple, but it's not necessarily easy to deprogram and let your natural boundaries be more than okay, be absolutely necessary for you to be fully expressed in this life or fully expressed in a relationship. You said something so beautiful to me when we were chatting recently about doing this episode together. And and it goes back to what you just mentioned about being indoctrinated out of our boundaries. You said children's tantrums are caused by one of their boundaries being violated. And I wrote that down because it hit me so hard. We, you know, when we think of a tantrum, right, we think of like this child being unreasonable, but it's because we're not checked into what their boundaries are. Like, I remember one time I had a meltdown because I was very clear about what I wanted to wear and I wanted to wear a bunch of, of mix matched things like a blue sock and a red sock and a yellow hat and a whatever. And I wasn't allowed to, and it felt like a violation. And of course, to an adult, that seems silly, but to me as a child, that was like, it was such a great moment of like, it's my, it's my, my body, my choice, right? Like I, I, this is an expression of me and that's how it felt. And I was being told I couldn't be me. I couldn't express myself the way I wanted. And that would be such a pattern for me in my, in my childhood, right? Of like, I don't get to express what's true for me. Um, so I think it's so important that you called attention to that, that piece around being indoctrinated out of our boundaries as children. Let me ask you this. What is the difference between a grievance and a boundary? Uh, I love that question, by the way. So a grievance is holding something against. And when a child has a body boundary violation, so the way you are um, describing your experience with wanting to wear a outfit that you've put together and being told no. So being told no is not necessarily a boundary violation, but a body boundary violation has a certain feeling with it. And being 
told no in a shaming kind of way is going to create a long-term sense of a body boundary violation. And a child doesn't know what a boundary is. Child needs to be shown what a boundary is and needs to be allowed to cultivate what's natural for them. So, you know, some children don't want to touch or be touched by strangers, but their parents will say, go give Uncle Jack, the uncle that you see once a year, you never remember, go give him a hug and a kiss. And some children have a natural boundary uh, against doing that. So when they're forced into a body boundary violation and they don't have or they haven't been able to cultivate boundaries, what a child does is develop a grievance, a holding against. And literally, it, it's a, energetically, it's a pushing out rather than this is my boundary. I respect my boundary. My parents respect my boundary. And Uncle Jack, we want you to respect my boundary too. So that grievance of, you know, what an idiot to expect that I'm going to hug and kiss someone I hardly know. It's that kind of pushing it away with like condescension or pushing it away with judgment. You're a bad person for asking uh, for a hug and kiss. Or my mother's a bad person for making me hug and kiss this man I don't want to touch. Uh, so the grievance is, is really a coping mechanism. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of grievances get frozen in a traumatic freeze. And then we have to excavate. So we have a lot of toxic shame that's wrapped in grievance. And it's indeed an excavation. So, you know, at, at the outer edge of the freeze in general, generally there's going to be some anger. And then there are going to be three or four layers in between the anger and the toxic shame that's wrapped in a grievance. And it's a real excavation to get to that traumatic moment. Now, that being said, every grievance can be integrated. So forgiveness is for grievances after the natural boundary has been acknowledged and put in place. And maybe atonement. Uh, so where there has been a grievance instead of a boundary, people may have been hurt by the projection of the grievance. And maybe there's some atonement. Maybe there's some restorative justice. Uh, but always there's going to be a boundary and soul esteem. So to get to that toxic shame wrapped in a grievance, there's always going to be boundary awareness and implementation and soul esteem. You are more than entitled to your natural boundary. It's part of you. You're more than entitled to it. It's actually part of you. I'm going to ask you next about soul esteem, but I want to first to better understand for, for me in this idea of a grievance, let's use an example. So let's say you're in a relationship and someone cheats on you in a monogamous relationship. What does the grievance boundary, what is all of that? What would that look like? So the vow has been broken. 
And when something so intrinsic is broken, a repair is needed. And you you referenced this when you were telling uh, about your experience with your best friend's inability to repair. So a repair is needed, and it's needed until there is a softening into being able to trust again. So the repair is not a one and done kind of thing when there is that level of betrayal. And until, until you, as the betrayed, can soften into trust again, there's very likely to be some measure of grievance. Like, you know, like, you know, what the fuck? One of those moments. In what planet is this okay? So that kind of pushing away. And a lot of what's being pushed away is the betrayer's toxic shame and the betrayed's toxic shame. To understand the, almost like the harmonics of grievance, um, projection is involved. So the decision to betray doesn't get fully examined because there isn't a safe place to examine it. So grievances are not safe for anyone. It's a coping mechanism and a boundary has been violated over and over again. And there's a struggle to reestablish the boundary. And in, you know, that situation that you just described, it's one of the most uh, significant body boundary violations. So when a partner has a sexual interaction with somebody else, they are bringing the energetics of that back into your sexual container. And the complexity of the grievance and the biographical nature of it, but also the lineage's input into the energy of it and then the cultural input. So in some cultures, it's uh, a-okay for a man to cheat on a woman. It's expected. Even if they get caught, the woman should just, you know, have a temper tantrum and then get over it. And that's, you know, that's the cultural conditioning. That's the cultural response to the trauma of of, uh, betrayal. So to, to understand when tempted into projecting out the toxic shame of the betrayal is so intense. You're tempted to project it against the betrayer and hold it against the betrayer there's something that you're not esteeming about yourself about your own soul and your own boundaries i don't know if that clarified or if it muddied the waters no i think that does it what i'm hearing is when there's a violation a boundary violation a bodily violation like you talked about we start talking about all the things that are wrong with that person. You're a piece of shit. You're a liar. You, and this is like, this is us. The grievance is us like pushing that person. But when we're doing that, we're not connecting with our soul esteem, which is something I'm about to ask you about. And I think it's natural to do that at first. And like, probably, you know, we've all been there. But doing that, that's not the boundary. The boundary is not you're a piece of shit, you know, or like you're a liar. The boundary is connected to the soul esteem. 
the boundary is I can't be in connection with you because you're showing up in X, Y, Z way, or I can only be in connection with you in this specific way because you're showing up with X, Y, Z behavior. Is that right? It is. So let me ask you this. What is soul esteem and what is its relationship to boundaries? We are light. We are, we are a spark of light that has taken on a body and we become highly identified with our body or our emotions and we forget about this spark of light. And this spark of light is the most essential part of ourselves. And it is uh, what we are here to express. It's what we're here to embody, but embody for the purpose of expression. And when we meet someone, it's very easy to forget that there is another spark of light over here. And uh, that, uh, that spark of light came here, took on a body to contribute, to maybe clear some ancestral trauma, to maybe contribute to the clearing of cultural trauma. And they don't know what they're doing. You know, the, the, the light just sees the light. And uh, the shadow is quite mysterious. Like, how does the light meet the shadow? And what does the light do when the shadow comes um, to the light for uh, integration? So we're all just like each other. We're all here learning about life, about how to express ourselves. We're all looking for some peace, for some joy. And we're clumsy. We make, we make a lot of uh, mistakes in order to understand what we're not and to learn by contrast. And, you know, there is lineage wisdom and eldership and the bodies of wisdom that are in cultural texts and sacred texts that uh, can help us be a little less clumsy. But also, if you have an inner circle that is very trustworthy and is very safe and they can help with feedback then uh the soul learns about life at the speed of your inner circle not just your own learning but it's exponential when you have an inner circle and this inner circle is in a great deal of soul esteem so i would say that for every trauma that gets integrated, there is an upgrade in soul esteem. And when there's an upgrade in soul esteem, there's an upgrade in ethics. We just naturally behave more ethically with ourselves. So, you know, when a natural boundary uh, arises, and um, this morning I was uh, working with a woman who uh, has an opportunity to buy some ancestral uh, land and she feels a strong mental pressure to buy this land. But her whole body is going, no, just no. And when she was able to hold herself in more soul esteem, she was able to you know, say to the part of her mind that's going, you must, you must get this land, you must heal this lineage, 
You must heal all of the traumas that are in this land. And every part of her, but her mind is going, no, once her soul esteem elevated, she's able to give the full body no, literally live into her full body no, and um, be willing to trust that what is needed for her work is going to manifest in another way. So it gives you a sense, uh, because soul esteem is a felt sense, uh, more than a mental concept. It's a felt sense. And your body feels better. No matter what health conditions you may have, your body feels better when your soul esteem gets elevated. When you remember that light, that spark of light that you are, that's in every cell, that's sparking up all the time. And that's also in the other person that you're in relationship with or connected to. I love, first of all, I just really want to highlight this idea or this recognition that soul esteem is a felt sense because I feel like we get, we can get really caught up in concepts, right? Like it's called mental health. It's like all in your head when a lot of my mental health stuff comes from somatic experiences. It comes from the body. And like a good example is what I talked about earlier when I was about to go into dinner with my friend and I got there early and my stomach was just was all in nuts. And then I sat in my car and felt into it and I could and what I felt what I'm you know, what I'm realizing now is this like soul esteem message, which is like I get to be seen, heard and held. I get to matter. I get to be witnessed. I get to be empathized with. It was like, this is who I am. This is what I need to flourish, to be like fully embodied in my spark of lightness. (laughs) You had a soul esteem upgrade right there. When you gave a bit of attention to the knots in your stomach, You didn't dismiss them. You didn't ignore them. You didn't tell them to simmer down. You gave a little bit of attention to the knots in your stomach. And that kind of acknowledgement goes a long way towards uplifting and elevating soul esteem. And I love in this conversation about boundaries, when we connect with that soul esteem, it's a lot easier for us to say, this doesn't work for me. This isn't, um, I'm not flourishing here. <laughs> like I, I'm going to walk away from this or whatever the boundary is. I'm going to set parameters here. This is what I need, right? Asking for what you need when you're checked in with that soul esteem, those boundaries sort of, I think that they come more naturally. That's an important point that, uh, our boundaries are natural to us. They don't have to be contrived or conceptual. They don't have to be justified. They're just natural to us. And they're natural to how we meet life. And they're not rigid. They don't, they change. You know, trust can be built, safety can be built, or you can learn that you're never going to be safe in a particular uh, relationship or a particular connection with somebody. Uh, And so the natural boundaries will rise up quite naturally to meet life as it's happening. No denial 
uh, no reversals, just this is what's happening. And to live that and to trust that really changes lives. It's how it changes how we meet life, how we live life, how we engage with life. And if a child's boundaries are violated, they are led away from soul esteem. So this is why an understanding of what a boundary really is, is so important culturally, so that we don't do this to children anymore, so that we don't put children through this kind of living hell of separating them from their soul esteem in order to maintain a connection. It's a literal living hell. Yeah, I, I can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. And you did beautifully. Thank you. We have sort of talked about this, but let me just ask, and we can get into it a little more. When we feel wronged, we're, we're so full of rage or resentment that we can land on like, this person's a piece of shit. This person sucks, right? How do we shift out of that using boundaries? And what does that shift look like? So the realization that another cannot meet you where you are is a, an unwanted realization most of the time. You know, we, we want the connections that we want, or we think we want the connections that we want. And they may not be the right uh, connections for us. That realization really, you know, ideally we would learn about that in puberty under the a guidance of an elder or two. And by the time we reach adulthood, we would be facing connection and re relationship with the realization that there's a very natural connection between two souls that fit together, that are meant to support each other, that are meant to be in partnership or to walk um, together for part of the journey. So when we project, we've forgotten that. And we're in an overload, overwhelmed situation. So when we project, we've just got to get it out somewhere. And as capacity, as nervous system capacity increases, and every time trauma is regulated or integrated, there is an increase in nervous system capacity. And as nervous system capacity increases, we have the capacity to process our own toxic shame. And the shame of, well, I mistook this uh, person for my friend. She wasn't my friend, but I mistook her for my friend. And there's a shame with that. The mind will say, you idiot, how could you? I've been telling you all along you know, blah, 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 blah. And that inner critic creates a lot of toxic shame in our bodies. And uh, shutting up the inner critic, expanding the capacity to metabolize shame and to realize the other is in toxic shame as well. So at this point, what you have in common is the frequency of toxic shame. Not such a great frequency to relate uh, with anybody. And with the nervous system capacity increasing, projection goes down naturally. 
and we can move more and more into 100% responsibility for our own experience, including our emotional experience, including our experience of toxic shame, including their projection of toxic shame into our space. So it's a developmental edge and that protectionism is needed when the nervous system capacity isn't there. So consciously developing and cultivating nervous system uh, capacity. So this is a primary tenant of self-care. And, you know, ideally we, we would be taught this during puberty with the elders in the council uh, who know the cultivation methods for the nervous system and know the cultivation methods for connection. So we have to parent ourselves to this. We have to be our own elders and be willing to grow into eldership for another generation to begin restoring the, the sort of natural order that has been so destroyed. And that, that restoration, I think, is possible. It's feasible. And the more we understand about the nervous system's capacity to digest toxic shame, and the more we understand about we're not our toxic shame, we're a, we're a soul, we're a light being uh, that has, you know, an earth suit. Uh, some of my friends call this the meat suit. And that uh, we are connected into limitless source. Our light is literally connected into limitless source. And we literally can grow our nervous system capacity through that connection. Yeah, it would have been really cool if we could have learned that at puberty. <laughs> that would have been really helpful. I'm I'm going to really sit with this episode for a while because it's so beautiful. Let me ask you one final question. Can you talk about having boundaries with ourselves and the way that that builds soul esteem? Yes. Boundaries with ourselves are very much aligned with our intention. And when we develop an intention and we are intentional, there are things that we will never do because it doesn't support the intention. And there are things that we will always do because it supports the intention. And there are things that we will have to come into situational decisions on. So the things that we will never do in order to support our intentionality are a boundary. The things that we will always do are a boundary. So I have an intention that I never miss a sunrise. Um, uh, this is because there uh, is a certain frequency of red light that is only available at sunrise and human cells are designed to be nourished by that frequency of red light and it's nigh on impossible to create it artificially and I happen to love the sunrise and I live very near an east-facing beach so you know I can uh, have a beautiful experience first thing in the morning. So that's my intention, never miss a sunrise. In order to um, never miss a sunrise and feel good, 
I have to have a certain amount of sleep. I have to have a certain amount of deep sleep, a certain amount of REM sleep. And that means I have to be in bed by a certain time. So right now, uh, where I live, the sunrise is um, a little bit after 5. It's about 5.10. And I have to be done with my nighttime routine by 9. And uh, I need a you know 20 minutes, a half hour to relax and to sleep. And if I miss a boundary at night, so these these are it's it's a structure, but if I miss a boundary at, at night, my sunrise isn't so good. You know, I may force myself to get up and get to the beach and wait for the sun, but I'm not in deep pleasure until the, when those red rays uh, hit my body. I'm generally in deep pleasure, but I'm not in such deep pleasure when I miss a boundary the night before. And similarly with, you know, like social invitations, like parties, I generally don't accept social invitations that are going to go into the night. So it's just, it's a no every time for me with a great deal of appreciation because I love being invited. I don't want to not be invited. I love being invited. I appreciate it, but it's a no for me because that sunrise is so important. And my yes is I'm fully done with my nighttime routine by nine and turning down the sheets by nine and, you know, really relaxed into sleep. So those are just practical boundaries. And, and, you know, something that came up earlier in the call, I have a boundary around DARVO. So with clients who uh, have developed a DARVO tendency, generally it's the way they learn to cope as uh, children with authority figures. And whenever somebody reminds them of a particular authority figure, they go into it automatically. But I have a boundary around clients who are not willing to give up DARVO. And I have a boundary in my uh, personal life. So, you know, if I were dating someone and there was DARVO in the first 90 days, I just wouldn't go any further because it's not something that I want to bring into intimacy in order to heal. I want it to be healed out here before it comes into intimacy. I find it to be destructive. So those are a couple of of examples. Yeah, my God, that's so helpful. And for those of us who I think were raised with boundary violations being the norm, it's so lovely to hear someone's experience of being in such a clear state of soul esteem that the no is just the no. It's just, and it's a no every time. And I love what you said earlier around a boundary doesn't have to be justified and it doesn't have to be cultivated. It just naturally is. And when we are tapped into our soul esteem, we can hear those boundaries. We can hear what the natural no and the natural yes is. And it's work for those of us who are so used to tapping into what someone else is 
no and yes is and drowning out our own. And that's exactly why I wanted to do this podcast and exactly why I wanted to have you on. So in deep gratitude, thank you so, so, so much, Pam, for coming on. I've loved hearing your insight and your wisdom and I've benefited so much. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me and every blessing. I mean, you, you're sharing a beautiful vulnerability with your uh, listeners. And I deeply, deeply appreciate that. Thank you. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party or on my personal Insta at Remy's R-E-M-E-E-Z. You can also email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. You can use any of those to send me questions for the Q&A episode. And also, if you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, hit me up. Also, if you want to join the Patrama Party community, find us on Facebook. It's a really cool group of listeners. We check in with each other about the stuff we're going through and offer support and resources. I'm definitely going to post about Darvo. So (laughs) there'll be some of that on there. I'm going to look that up. So if you're into that, just search the Patrama Party and I'll add you. Speaking of support, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. And I read all the reviews. And if you'd like to support the pod, you can now. You can give a dollar a month, $5, whatever. I pour myself into this podcast. I put so much time and energy into it. So if you're able and moved to, just go to podcasters.spotify.com forward slash pod forward slash show forward slash the Patrama party. They make it very complicated. And then you can scroll down to the support button or a simpler way. You can find the support option on Spotify. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party. Bye. The information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. None of the material presented is intended to be a substitute for psychotherapy, counseling, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you need to speak with a professional, find one local to you and reach out directly.